Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres social hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. It is Monday. It is April 6th. It is 2020. Yes, it is still 2020. Let's see, looking at my handy-dandy Padres schedule, team was supposed to be in Atlanta tonight, opening up a series against the Braves. They would have, of course, just swept the Rockies, three straight in Denver, spoiling their home opener. Sorry, buddy. And uh, then on to Atlanta late last night to take on the Bravos in a series that was to uh, begin, oh, I don't know, about an hour and 10 minutes ago. Maybe we'd be in about the third inning by now. But of course, uh, things are a little bit different. And so instead, you get a a webcast, basically, with me and a bunch of uh, fun other people, uh, including tonight. We're going to mix it up a little bit. We're having two co-hosts because two is better than one. Very happy to welcome in 1976 Cy Young Award winner in the National League, Randy Jones, and AJ Casavell of MLB.com. The three-box works technology. Thing. Hi, guys. Hi, Jesse. It is... uh, Hi, Jesse. Hi, AJ. Randy, how are you? I'm wonderful, wonderful. Let's go a little barn, you know, stir crazy, but I'm hanging in there. Yeah, I think think we all are. Yeah, I think stir crazy is kind of like the baseline right now for for just about everybody. But uh, we certainly uh, we know why we're doing this and we'll continue to do it uh, in order uh, to to do that. So uh, today, like I said, Padres would have been playing the Braves. Padres, uh, aside from baseball, I should say. Also, the other thing that would be going on in the world of sports today, had we been living in a normal world, uh, would be the NCAA basketball championship game. Mm -hmm. The men's uh, final would be tonight, uh, that big Monday night. We'd all probably have one eye on that at what is now. It's no longer SunTrust Park in Atlanta, Cassville, Intuit Park, I believe, something like that. Sorry, I didn't think of it till now, so I didn't look it up. I think Intuit is the new name of the park in Atlanta. The place has been open for three years. Uh, But we would have all had one eye on the basketball game, maybe even more than one eye had the Aztecs gotten there. Uh, Who knows, of course, what would have happened with that. But we will talk some San Diego State basketball with Dave Velasquez, assistant coach uh, for the Aztec basketball team, coming up in a little bit uh, because what an incredibly special year it was for them going 30-2. and Randy, that was like such a fun part of the winter, I know, for for so many of us, kind of paying attention to the Aztec basketball team. Yeah, I was very proud of them. 
I, you know, Jesse, and, and you look at what the, what these kids had accomplished and, and not to get to finish it off, you know, very, very frustrating. I think we all understand it, but disappointment, you know, is, is, is got to be shown on their faces and, and to get that opportunity. It only comes around every once in a while. And it's just a shame that had to happen, you know, to the Aztecs this year, but, uh, they should yeah, keep their heads high and be very, very proud of what they've accomplished. AJ, I think about it like this. We all know there's more important stuff to be worried about, more important stuff to be upset about. But of like all the sports things that have been interrupted so far, you get kind of a magical season unfolding for a college basketball team where eligibility issues are real. Seniors cannot come back, all that kind of stuff. And then you don't even get the opportunity to play in that tournament, man. That's, that's about as tough as it gets from a sports standpoint. Yeah, and it, it probably you probably feel it a little more in in the NCAA because in, in professional sports you can kind of move around the season, you can change some things. These guys have careers that will last longer than an allotted four years. But when you're given four years to accomplish something, and then you've kind of worked your way there. I mean, the Aztecs were uh, who knows what would have happened in the tournament, but they were one of the favorites. And uh, yeah, it's just it it there are way more important things health wise and and economy wise and just just. Just on on the on a grander scale, there are things that matter more than the NCAA tournament. But you can't help but feel for those kids who would have gotten, no matter what happens. I mean, if 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 they had been bounced in the Sweet Sixteen and some dramatic upset, I mean, that still would have been an, an a a memory of some uh, and some closure to what was going to happen. Where whereas they just don't get that now. And like I said, more important things. I would have, this would have been my first off day of the, of the year today. So I would have not been in Atlanta. I would have been uh, sitting at home on my couch, queuing up the game and a uh, little, little inside baseball for the fans who don't know every, every time I get, every time I get a series off, Jesse, uh, the first thing he says to me when I return to the ballpark is, Oh, you still work here. And so this would have been a four game series. So he would have said it to me four times that day. That's, that's exactly how that works. Not only, not only do I say it to him, Randy, but I try and make sure there are as many and as many high level people around as possible. When I first say it, I never just say it like passing in the hallway. I wait till we're around the manager or like Orsillo and Grant or you know, something like that. I like that. That's okay. That's good. At least you know what to expect AJ, you know, every time when you get back from a wonderful two or three days off, right? Yeah, no one ever lets me just have my time off. It's and you know what? I deserve it. I got time off in the middle of the baseball season. There's no there's there's no off days in baseball. No, there really aren't. But uh boy, what I wouldn't love to be able to uh see you on Friday at Petco and say, "Hey, you still work here four times obnoxiously." That would uh that would be pretty special. Uh baseball lost a, a great one today as well. We certainly should mention Al Kaline, Mr. Tiger, Hall of Famer, uh one of the just uh, most uh, incredible hitters in baseball history, uh, long career, and boy, the stories that came pouring in today uh, about him off the field were very, very consistent in that every single person who seemed to have ever crossed paths with Al Kaline talked about how he was as kind and gentle a human being and a man as existed. A lot of years on the Tiger broadcast team, spent a lot of time around the ballpark, uh, even you know very late into his life. So everybody who went through Detroit, it seemed, got the opportunity to spend some time with Al Kaline, and they were all better for it. So uh, condolences to his family, to the baseball community, obviously to the Tiger family as well. One of the all-time great players. And AJ, he's a guy whose name we started to kind of read a lot last year in the Padre world because it seemed like every time Fernando Tatis Jr. was doing something extraordinary as a, as a 20-year-old, it was like some kind of Al Kaline reference mixed into that. Yeah, I thought the craziest thing, which I didn't know about Al Kaline before 
today was that he was basically in the big leagues a few weeks after being drafted. And so it makes it made a lot of sense when I was doing all this Fernando Tatis research in the last year. And and obviously I always knew how good Al Kaline was and, and who he was and what he represented for the city of Detroit and for baseball. But I don't think I understood kind of the longevity of of his career until I started researching some of the Tatis stuff. And uh, if Fernando Tatis had stayed healthy, it would have been Al Kaline's record that he was trying to break as the youngest uh, the youngest batting champ in baseball history. Al Kaline, I think, did it at 20. And Fernando Tatis, the the season would have ended. I think he would have been three days younger than Al Kaline was when he won his batting crown. So that was what Tatis was chasing. And um, I think there are a lot of Padre fans who would love it if, if Fernando Tatis went on to have a 22-year major league career, 3,000 hits, 400 homers in San Diego. Yeah, that would uh, that would certainly be pretty good. RJ, I know you you cross paths with him as well, of course. And uh, I mean, truly one of the great players in baseball history, obviously a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, Hall of Famer. And, you know, what a professional. That's what I do remember about him. And you know, being in the American League didn't didn't cross paths all that that often. I know the two All-Star games. I remember talking to Al Kaline and, and other events that we've been to over the years. And, you know, just a true professional. And like they said, and, you know, and all the great career and everything went never went to his head. He was just a very normal guy that just loved the game of baseball. He loved sharing stories and, and talking about it. And, and uh, it never a dull moment when Al Kaline was around. I'll say that, Jesse. RJ, let me ask you, when you were a young guy pitching in the big leagues, do you remember, like, who the first guy was that you got the opportunity to meet where maybe you were, like, a little bit starstruck or, or you just couldn't believe you had the opportunity to spend some time with him? Well, there's quite a few of them. Probably the first one, you know, I had to be Whitey Ford. Uh, he came in for an old-timers game in 73 at, at San Diego Stadium. And me being a rookie, I kept pretty much to my locker, didn't say a, a whole bunch. And I just noticed that when he walked in, I, of course, I knew Whitey Ford was in the locker room. And, you know, he went out to play. He goes, hey, uh, lefty. And I turned around and he goes, I forgot my glove. Let me use your glove for the old-timers game. And I'll never forget that. That was really the first time I, you know, got a little starstruck. But uh, you know, that was one of many, and it was uh, it was it's remembered fondly. That's really, really cool. Whitey Ford borrowing your glove. That's a that's a pretty good deal. Uh, AJ and I could never have a story like that. That's the reality. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. All right. So again, uh, condolences to uh, Al Kaline, his uh, family, loved ones, friends, and everybody in the uh, Hall of Fame baseball and Tiger communities. All right. So a couple of stories. Everybody's got questions, I know. And thank you for the birthday wishes, by the way. I see those kind of pouring in from uh, from Facebook and Twitter and everything. There you go. Christopher, thank you. Uh, birthday was yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, it was different. But I know everybody's having birthdays these days, it seems like. So everybody's kind of dealing with it. And uh, I appreciate it. We ordered pizza. It was nice. A little time with the family. Reality is I would have been in Denver. And now I got to spend it with my with my, with my my wife and my kids. So that was nice, uh, certainly. Hey, we, we had pizza on your birthday, too. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to do this instead. So, yes, uh, very nice quarantine birthday yesterday. We, we kept safe. But uh, a couple of stories in the last couple of days about the state of baseball, because I know that's sort of the question on the front of all of our minds. And all right, where is this thing? Where is it going? When can we play again? Every day we get that question. I understand why. Uh, Saturday in The Athletic, Ken Rosenthal uh, kind of wrote about, you know, where we're at from an MLB perspective. Today, there was a story on ESPN.com about what's going on in South Korea. Uh, the KBO, which is a, a big-time league, obviously, 
uh, in the world of baseball is slowly starting to ramp things up. Uh, and they had a lot of good stuff coming from Dan Straley, who if you're like a really hardcore Padre fan, you'll remember. Straley was a Padre for like two and a half days uh, back right before the 2016 season began. Uh, but longtime major leaguer, you probably remember mostly with Cincinnati and Miami and Baltimore before that. But Straley is there to pitch this year. His family's in the U.S. He's in Korea. Obviously, it's kind of a stressful situation. But he had a great sort of like man-on-the-ground descriptions of what was going on in Korea, not only from a baseball standpoint, but from a societal standpoint there as they try and get ready to play. And I guess my takeaway, guys, and we'll start with AJ here, is, is cautious optimism because, you know, we can keep our eye on South Korea and on the KBO. Obviously, from a medical standpoint, they're sort of ahead of, I guess, where the U.S. is in, in terms of virology. And I don't want to get too much into medicine because that is certainly not my area of expertise. But we sort of see how it goes there. And we can hope that we might be able to follow in those footsteps. But the other thing, you know, from, from both articles in the last couple of days that I think was a major takeaway, AJ is like the, the margin for error is very, very slim here. Australia goes, hey, look, if one person gets sick, we got to shut the whole thing down for two weeks again. And that doesn't just mean players. That means anybody who's around it. The idea basically is that we're going to try and, and do this thing. And so I guess we'll all be watching it very closely. Yeah, that, that was probably my takeaway, too, is that when is that we're, we're kind of all watching this unfold and maybe trying to learn the lessons that we can learn from what happens in the in the coming weeks in Korea. But they don't even, I think, know where it's heading entirely, because if something were to happen, if there were to be if someone were to fall sick, all of a sudden that's a setback and maybe the league needs to be postponed for those two weeks or, or where does it go from there? But I will say I, I, I do, I do kind of get that sense of optimism uh, just in that. I mean, first of all, there's, there's going to be baseball. There is there, there are intra-squad games being played right now, which, which just, I mean, as any baseball fan, there's, there's a million more important things, but it has to make you smile a little bit. Um, when baseball gets Back, gets back to not normalcy, but when it gets back to a, a state where we're we can kind of progress toward workouts and toward maybe games being played, it's going to look a little. It, it's not going to look normal. It's not going to be spring training. It's not going to be everyone shows up and the fans can 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 be at the games in in Peoria or wherever. I, it's just going to be a little different. But I think we're all okay with that because we all understand why it has to be different. It's different. It's going to be different in in South Korea, and that's the way that's the way we get baseball back. And, and I think we kind of kind of all understand that, and and just looking forward to kind of getting there. Yeah, I guess that's the idea. If there's going to be baseball in 2020, it's going to look different in, in many different ways. And you know, from the length of the season to perhaps some rules to obviously the environment. Um, and again, nobody knows whether they're going to be able to play with fans or not in the long run. You know, in, in this season in particular. Randy, from a player's perspective, how would you feel about playing in a ballpark with no fans in attendance? I mean, we have backfield games in spring training, obviously coming up in the amateur ranks. You play in front of some very small crowds at times, even in the minor leagues at times. But to have no fans whatsoever, what would that be like for a player? I think that would be awful. I don't, I, you know, I, number one, I don't think it would work. Uh, it'd be great to you know, keep them in shape and, and until we get containment and control where we could get fans back into the ballpark. But there's such a there's such a necessary thing, I think, for the whole atmosphere of baseball in the ballpark and and day in and day out all the years, the decades. And, you know, we play in front of the fans and yeah, going to really be hard to get motivated and compete against each other. You know, it's going to feel like a practice game every single day with no no fans there. You know, 
and it's hard to get the adrenaline going, no doubt, in that scenario. But I think at the positive side, if we could at least get back to getting the teams together, you know, and participating, competing, that would sure make it, you know, a, a, a quick leap forward once we invite the fans back. I mean, the ball players will be ready to go. They'll already be playing a little bit. Uh, that wouldn't hurt my feelings whatsoever. But you, did, you definitely need, you need fans in the ballpark, guys. You know, if we're going to play this game, let's get it contained. Let's make sure everybody's safe, and then let's start playing baseball. You know, one thing I don't want is everybody looking over their shoulder every half of the inning and, you know, worrying about that. We need to get to a point where we can – be satisfied and, and, and go live our lives and compete and play baseball like we know we can. Yeah, AJ, I guess that, that's the other main takeaway that we've gotten, you know, whether it's uh, directly, you know, from the commissioner or the Players Association or just sort of indirectly in a lot of these articles about, you know, how things might work. Everybody's got to, got to, got to, and are taking their leads from the medical community. So, you know, we, we can sit here until we're blue in the face and talk about, you know, the logistics of contracts in the CBA and how baseball might work. But the reality is it's the doctors who are not necessarily going to make this call, but going to lead us to the path that we need to be led on. Yeah, and we don't know what that path's going to be because we don't know how the next couple months are going to play out. And and it's, uh, I mean, for, as, as a reporter, it's frustrating to to – to have questions that you don't have answers to and that you can't get answers to, but that's just where we are right now with this whole thing. And so um, there's, there's such a fine line to walk between when we're ready to start games and how we start those games and what the season looks like with, with the health of the public. And obviously that takes precedent. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't know. It, it's not, it, it, like you said, it's not our call to make that. I mean, I, I think there's, there, there are smarter people than us who will, I, I guess, know when the time is right and then know how the time can be right, how to make the time right. What, what, what kind of precautions, if there are no fans, if there are, if there is a shortened season, if it has to start a little later than some people would like, but I mean, that's just the nature of where we are in, in 2020 right now. Yeah, everything is so far beyond the obvious. I mean, this is a fair question from Geekster. Wouldn't they need the minor leagues operational too? I don't know. I mean, in a perfect world, obviously, but I would put that question into the same bucket with questions uh, about salaries, with questions about rule changes. That stuff, once you figure out the medical, that's easy. You know, I mean, you, you can make that work one way or the other. You can do things differently. You know, you can have big rosters where perhaps it reduces the need, you know, for minor league uh, call-ups or, or minor league reinforcements. It, it's one of a thousand baseball questions that are legitimate questions um, that have complicated answers, but that are answerable. I, I think, you know, once you figure out the more serious stuff that's going on. So, well, believe me, I, I would love guys to be able to get to a point where we're talking about, oh, are they going to do a 29-man roster, or a 35-man roster? Are we going to play 80 games? Are we going to play 100 games? Those questions will be a lot of fun to have at some point, hopefully in the not-too-future. Yeah, we're going to have the DH in the National League right. or, you know, for a shortened season, little fun stuff like that. That might be intriguing. How do you feel about that? No, I, I don't want to get you going on the day. Right, so everybody obviously is trying to, uh, you know, come up with different stuff to uh, entertain uh, sports fans in general. We'll talk a little bit about WrestleMania even in a little bit. Uh, we're doing this show, you know, just to try and distract a little bit, gives people something to look forward to. Uh, but obviously everybody who works in sports and entertainment in general, I think, is trying to figure out what can we do here, uh, you know, to try and, and, and give the people something, you know, fresh other than just watching the news all day or watching – 
Netflix and old shows and old movies, that kind of thing. And uh, one of the ideas that kind of got floated out the last few days, I guess, over the weekend was that the NBA is considering holding a virtual horse tournament uh, with some of their star players. A lot of these guys obviously have hoops at home. So with the magic of technology, they could, uh, you know, play horse, virtual horse. It's easy enough here. Match the shot that I just took. Um, and, and I think it might be kind of compelling. So that obviously got my imagination going, guys. Like, what would be the baseball equivalent of that? I threw that question out on social media today. A lot of people said, oh, home run derby or playing pepper, you know, that kind of stuff. That's obviously hard to do from a, a virtual standpoint. I guess the ones for me that seem semi-realistic, if you wanted to do something like this, aside from video games and esports, which I think is going to be a big part of this, you know, you could do like uh, skill competition type things. AJ, whether it's some sort of Tom Amansky deal where you got to throw the ball in the in the trash can from 300 feet away. I don't know. But but what do you think we, we could be doing baseball-wise with players to try and have some fun like that? So I think the equivalent to horse is Pepper. And like you said, Pepper doesn't Pepper doesn't work in, I mean, obviously it's, you need to be all standing in the same area, but what I'll say is the equivalent of this kind of competition, what I would love to see in baseball. I saw, I saw some random video of some, of some dad just teeing off against his son. His son was pitching and he was just hitting these long home runs. I would like to see uh, major leaguers kind of team up with their kids, have their kids throw them pitches, make them just, just try and throw it in their wheelhouse. And then they hit, hit home runs with wiffle ball bats or with whatever kind of bats you want. And, and just kind of, so it's like almost a team effort between the kid and the dad and uh, kids got to be young enough for where it's, where it's still kind of fair. And then you just, and, and obviously the home run distances aren't going to all be the same, but then we kind of get a glimpse into what these guys backyards are like and what their lives are like a little bit. And it could be a fun way to maybe, maybe I just, I guess just, just make people smile and, and watch something that's baseball related again. And then, all right, well, well, how about us guys that all we have is girls? What what goes on then? Or Are we supposed to yes. compete too or what? Yeah, no, they can pitch too. Huh? They can pitch too. Let them pitch. I mean, we can't do three flies up like the old days, JJ, you know? The old, when we used to do that in the outfield, or we used to call it 500, you know? Yeah. First oh, guy yeah. to get 500, remember that? I don't know how maybe we could develop something like that, you know, a game like that where you get the interaction. Fly balls, you know, like 100 points, ground balls, 25, you know, yada, yada, all that. You know, maybe have a little fun doing that kind of stuff. 500. Or we can get the pitchers on the mound and we can do PFP and play 500. <laughs> That'd be interesting. They'd butcher that. The no, PFP championships of the world. I would watch that right now. You know what? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna draw the line we can there. watch <laughs> them do bunting practice. That's even more fun, watching them bunt. That's even a lot of fun. I, don't know. I think I'd go like Netflix over PFP <laughs> on YouTube or anything like that. Just me personally. Uh, some of the ideas that came in uh, when I when I put out the call on social media, Adam Drescher said, yeah, outfielders hitting targets, uh, you know, whether it's trying to, you know, same kind of a horse concept, right? Like you got to go a couple hundred feet away from something and try and hit it. Hitters, same thing. Maybe you can set up some targets, you get a tee out and you try and knock the targets down. I don't know that's necessarily as exciting as horse, but it's the same kind of concept. That's pretty good. That would work at least. Andrew Lawson uh, said pitchers and batters both calling their shots. So pitchers, you know, could say set up a, a you know, a thing with quadrants. Say, I'm going to hit this one and I'm going to hit this one. Hitters, same thing. Hey, I'm going to punch it through the left side off a tee, stuff like that. Uh, Joey said a home run derby idea. Uh, but you kind of have to go like left, left, center, center, right, right, center, that sort of thing, like around the world in basketball, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't like you said, I mean, we're also desperate for any kind of action. Like I would watch Mike Trout hit off a tee right now. I'd watch Fernando Tati <laughs> hit off a tee right now. Like no question. 
Yeah, maybe let the baseball players play horse. I know they they already like to do that in, in, on on the backfields in Peoria anyway. That's I true. Mean, I guess you don't have to make it like a, a baseball thing for baseball guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I horse is very uniquely basketball, and it is it is it's a nice thing in that for the NBA and that you don't need to have any other people there to, to play this game virtually. So it is unique. I, I, I think the equivalent is pepper uh, and you just can't do that. But the Tony Gwynn 5.5 hole challenge, that's a great one. I'm a big fan of that one. Yeah. Just everybody yeah. trying to hit it uh, through the hole, uh, bunt into circle targets. There is great video. And I wish I would have thought about this earlier. We could have pulled it. Um, there's great video on YouTube. I think it was in Japan. I saw might've been their all-star game or not where they have that bunt competition. Have you seen that AJ? And it's like yeah. rapid fire, and they got a bunt into the targets. It really is fascinating. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'd watch. I'd watch the heck out of that. Yeah, I mean, that's where we're at. That's where we're at right now. Randy, can I interest you in some bunting skills challenges? Yeah, yeah, anything like that. Something to get some entertainment, guys. You know where that's what we're looking for. We're all starving for it. Yeah, uh, to get it. back. Any of those things would help. Even even watching it, you know, watching a video of or watching it, watching it live via. You know, you know, on my computer here, um, it is. It, it'd be good to get a little bit of it back, and I think the fans would love that too. What about RJ? What if I got you like an umpire practicing? Like if I got you a live stream of Ted Barrett and a pitching machine, and he's working on his strike call? Oh, I'd love it. That'd be great, man. <laughs> you know, anybody is anybody I can yell at. I'm 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 in. I like that. Very nice. All right. Were well, you talking about fans uh, in attendance or a lack thereof and how weird that might be? Got a little bit of a taste of this in the uh, sports entertainment world, at least over the weekend. Uh, WWE put on their WrestleMania. I guess they aired it Saturday and Sunday. And so it was kind of a tape deal produced. Uh, I guess they did it at their big training center, like a soundstage in Orlando um, with no fans in attendance. So the wrestlers, obviously, I would hope at least, were all tested and healthy and the officials do you call them officials, referee in wrestling? Uh, everybody was in. So um, I did not watch. I, I, I haven't really watched wrestling since I was like 12. But um, I spoke to some people who watched it, and they said it was very, very weird. Um, you know, and, and it just it didn't feel right. It didn't feel the same as it normally does. And I guess that makes sense. Look, there's no doubt. And as we're talking about college basketball in San Diego State, you know, what a crowd can add to an environment is a very significant thing, particularly when you talk about TV and radio. Like I can tell you as a broadcaster, even when you have the opportunity, radio, TV, it doesn't matter. And it's easier to do on TV to kind of shut up and let the crowd do its thing in a big moment. You know, like with a two, two count or something like that, if the crowd's on their feet and they're going crazy, you set up that moment and now you're just quiet. And, you know, you obviously describe what happens, but you're able to, as opposed to like a spring training game or a game in Miami, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon when there's 1,100 people there, you feel like you have to fill everything as an announcer because there's no sound, there's no ambience, there's no excitement, you know, being generated there, even in a big moment. I mean, crowds add so much to sports. And Randy, I guess that goes back to what you're saying, but obviously a very weird sight even for getting the sounds of like, you know, even if it's wrestling, you know, being, being played in that kind of situation. Yeah, I think it's got to be a little bit anticlimactic. You know, they're bouncing around the arena, you know, and like they were doing and all their moves and everything else, and you know, but no fans, no reaction. You know, it, it's gonna it's gonna affect your performance. I mean, it's hard. You can't you can't match the adrenaline of you know forty thousand people you know, in front of you and you're on the mound and you got the baseball in your hand, guys, and nothing's gonna happen until I wind up and throw it. Uh, that's an adrenaline rush, whether you like it or not, and. uh, 
you know, and, and that's something you just can't compare to. You need those fans. That's, really interesting. that's really interesting to me because I wonder if certain players will be affected by it more, certain players who kind of thrive and feed off the environment. And that's not a thing that we really know about because every game that's been played has been played in front of fans for the most part. And so there, I'm sure there will be pitchers specifically because I think that's, that's probably the spot where you're, where the adrenaline is highest, where certain guys, almost it doesn't feel right to them on the mound and there, there might have to be an adjustment period if there are games played in front of no fans. I mean, I imagine like it, it is cool. I will say it is I, one of my favorite parts about spring training is, is B games, games that are played at like 11 o'clock in, in the morning just for guys to like get their work in on a backfield and you can kind of hear the chatter and you can hear like everything that goes on, but it's not a game and it's hard for people to kind of pull their – their normal routine and their adrenaline and their, the way they go about their, their business together in front of no fans. I mean, along those lines, just, I'm thinking from a TV radio perspective, if you're playing games without fans, you're going to hear a lot of stuff that you <laughs> hear. Some of it good, some of it not so good, I think. Yeah. You, you're definitely going to hear a little bit more of that. You know, <laughs> I, I think you, what the thing you got to turn off that mic that you have down on the field, we got to turn that off. Yeah, might, you might have to make some adjustments yeah. from, uh, from a production standpoint. It's really weird, obviously, you know, as, as we're talking about it. And you said it, those backfield games, they're kind of neat, you know, to go back there and, and see them, but they don't matter. They don't count. I mean, they matter to the players, but they don't count. You know, there's no stats or anything like that. It's it's a totally different environment. And to think about a real major league game under such circumstances would be uh, pretty bizarre, to say the least. One other, uh, I do want to get to one other WrestleMania highlight we have here. You remember Rob Gronkowski? He's a wrestler now. And uh, I guess Gronk won a title yesterday. And, and the, the main reason I want to show this is not for the melee. Oh, God bless wrestling. But uh, Gronk's, there you go. There's, there's Gronk. Um, if I would have told you, like, I don't know, 18 months ago, uh, that we would be sitting here, all the sports would be canceled or postponed, and Rob Gronkowski would be pinning that guy for a championship belt at WrestleMania. I don't know what you would have said to me. You would have had me committed. I guess that would be the only thing. Be like Jesse has fallen ill, and he needs to go to a place where they can help him get better uh, because he's talking about Rob Gronkowski at WrestleMania and all sports being stopped. But that's the reality of the world we're in right now. Yeah. I wouldn't walk right by you. Just, I wouldn't even have paid attention. If someone <laughs> asked you which which current active professional athlete in his prime would win a WrestleMania title, you might have said Gronk, though. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that, that would have been that would have been easy. That would have been easy. Uh, I did, Michael. Yes, He's, that's a wrestler. That's an old school term. Maybe you're too young for it. There's wrestlers. All right. As for uh, sports with um, outcomes that are not predetermined, uh, we mentioned tonight. Not only would it have been Padres and Braves at Intuit Park in Atlanta, it would have also been the NCAA basketball championship, uh, also in Atlanta. Actually, as I recall. I think it was supposed to be in Atlanta at the new football stadium there. So it would have been a very big sports week in Atlanta. Uh, not only would you have the Padres in town, uh, but also the NCAA basketball championship. Uh, the Aztecs this year, they went 30 and two. Uh, they were obviously primed to make some kind of run in the NCAA tournament. It's an incredible story when you think about it. The fact that those guys uh, weren't able to have a true conclusion to their season, uh, but assistant uh, basketball coach at San Diego State, Dave Velasquez, was nice enough to join me earlier this afternoon. We talked about that and more. Thank you. 
Coach, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. Very glad to hear your family's doing all right. Obviously, scary times uh, for everybody, but from a basketball perspective, congratulations to you, the Aztecs, the players, the coaches, everybody. Just an absolutely incredible season this past year. Thank you so much. It was such a fun ride, and, and the reason why it was such a fun ride, and it wasn't just for the amazing support we got from our students, our community, all of San Diego, and then the level, the love we got across college basketball was outstanding, but what really made it special was the group of guys, and we had a, a special group of uh, individuals that came together as a team. Their chemistry was off the charts. They practiced hard every day. It was a, it's a group that you wish you could coach the rest of your career. It, it was a special group. And we had big things ahead of us. And, uh, but at the end of the day, we had so many great memories together. And uh, we look forward to even creating some more memories next year. What was that moment like when, when you guys got everybody together? I don't know if it happened virtually or, or in person and kind of had to discuss uh, the end of the season, which, of course, was not the one anybody was anticipating. You guys are you know, very much legitimate national championship contenders. And then we find out the entire tournament has been canceled. There have been rumors you know, kind of leading up to that. But what was, what was that moment like for you guys to kind of get with everybody one final time? Well, if you think back, I mean, everything just happened so fast. And, and part of that was we were at practice. Uh, I had one of our managers come over to, to myself and uh, another one of our coaches and tell us that they announced that there'll be no fans allowed at the tournament. So, you know, I said, don't mention anything to the guys. Let's get through this practice. We had another great practice. We went downstairs to the film room and we told them, hey, fellas, you know, they just ruled that there's going to be no fans at the NCAA tournament. And, and at that point, that was it was hard, but we kind of we kind of knew we we're just lucky to still have the tournament. And then within 24 hours, the entire tournament got canceled. And then so from that point on, we actually never got together as a team again. Um, it was uh, it wasn't recommended that we get together as a group. And we did a lot of individual meetings with Coach Dutcher. Every player met with Coach Dutcher at least twice before they ended up leaving town. But uh, we've all talked to him, all, all the coaches. We've all stayed on stayed in touch with our guys and. It's just one of those things. It's it's it was a sad moment when it first happened that we're not going to have fans, but it, then it was just crushing when you found out there was no NCAA tournament. But to be honest, the group we had was so mature. By the time Saturday and Sunday of that week came around, it was so much bigger than the NCAA tournament. There were so many other bigger things going on in this world, and at this crazy time, that was actually helped us kind of get over it a little bit quicker than probably usual. Wow. It says a lot, like you said, about the maturity of the group and the perspective everybody was able to have. What was the message, you know, to the kids? Obviously, that's going to differ, you know, a little bit from guy to guy, but maybe the overarching thing you as coaches, as teachers, as mentors, you know, wanted these guys to take away from not just this, you know, part of the situation, but everything overall this year. Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the moment. Let's not get too sad. And there's nothing we can control. Let's let's get mad at the things we can't control and, and not worry about the things we can't control. And what we can't control were the 32 games and going 30 and two and, and how hard they practiced and how many great memories they shared together. It was really a, a fantastic just group to be around, like I had mentioned earlier. And, and for us with the seniors, you feel for them. I still do. You know, I talked to Yanni the other day and talked to KJ last week. I mean, I just, my heart breaks and Nolan Rain. I mean, Nolan at least got a chance to be there uh, before, but for Yanni Wetzel and KJ Fagan, who had never played in the NCAA tournament, it's just a whole different feel. And then, for Malachi and, and now this decision that he's going to have to make here uh, coming up on, on whether he goes to the NBA or doesn't or test the waters, whatever he decides to do. You know, he was one of those guys. He was primed to be that that kind of that March Madness darling that the entire, uh, you know, country gets to see, whole world gets to see how good of a player he is. And Malachi was ready to go. Our whole team was ready to go. And that's just kind of for the other guys coming back, the Matt Mitchell, Jordan Shackle, Adam Stake, Trey Pullman, all every single guy that's coming back, you can really build off of why we were 30-2. and two. 
we weren't 30 and two because we kind of went through the motions. We were 30 and two for a lot of reasons. And they, they now have an opportunity going into their senior years or junior year to, to really make a special season ahead of them again. And we got a lot of great talent coming back and we're excited for next year, but it's, uh, it's, it's disappointing. We didn't get a chance to really shine in the, on the biggest stage. Uh, this, this might be an impossible question to answer. And I don't know how much thought you've given to it, but let's imagine it's 15 years from now and somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, what do you remember about that 2019, 2020 season uh, at San Diego state? What will you be able to tell them about that 30 and two run? You know, that's, that's a hard question. Cause there's going to be like right now, there's like 25 memories that come, come to my mind, but, it, I mean, from a coaching standpoint, I always just remember how engaged they were in the film room. I'll remember how they never took any practices lightly. I remember how many early morning workouts they all did individually to get themselves better. And then I, I remember how they are after our loss versus UNLV, to be honest. And as a coach, you hate to say this, but every coach would tell you, you remember the losses way more than the wins. And we've had some great wins this year, and I'm not ever going to forget those. But I'll never forget how that locker room felt after we lost to UNLV at home. Uh, we were 26 and 0 at the time, but it, there was just this feeling of, all right, we're going to be okay, but let's not let that happen again. Uh, and then obviously the feeling after the loss against Utah State, where you know it's one of those things, three games, three days. Sam Merrill had that crazy shot, but to me, it was those memories as a coach, you you always want back. You know, I sit here and I, I'm like all our players, like I'm, I wish we were 32 and 0 right now, and you're still in that kind of moment right now as, as you as you talk about, you know, the memories of this season. But there's so many. I mean, to me, to be honest, the, the one I always tell people about, the one I tell the recruits about, Staples Center that day, when we went in and we played Utah, they're coming off beating Kentucky. And, and they played great. And they beat Kentucky three days earlier. And we came into Staples Center. And the way our crowd showed up in the Staples Center, how loud they were, how proud they were to be an Aztec fan was incredible. It's something I'll never forget. And from the beginning of that game, you could feel them. And uh, we, we never let up, and we ended up winning that game, I think, by 32 points. And it was just – it was such a special, special day. We've always wanted to play in Staples Center. That's San Diego State's first game ever in Staples Center. So it was a, it, it was a special, special night. Speaking of the fans, uh, not just that night, but, boy, were they special all year long at home and sometimes on the road as well. That's nothing new, obviously, uh, on that campus. But what an absolutely incredible environment that's been created there. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it not only helps us win. I, the, the thing that I don't know if all fans really understand, how much it helps us recruit. Because when you talk to all these recruits, and, and that's really all we're doing right now is talking to transfer recruits, we're talking to high school recruits, it's we have one of the best, if not the best, atmosphere in college basketball. And, and, and I don't, you know, and, and I say that lightly because I know there's other really good atmospheres, but if you were there on that Kawhi night, if you were in that building, there's no way there's ever been a better atmosphere for college basketball. That, when we played Utah State at home and won that game and came back from down 10 in the second half, that was as good as college basketball gets. And our fans showed up all season long. Our student section was phenomenal. And so from a, a coaching standpoint and as a recruiter standpoint, that helps in so many different ways, not just on the floor, but off the floor in terms of having a high major program that we can re can attract high major players and we can win at a high you know major level. I mean that's our goal. We don't really care what it says on the but when we see the chest of the other team, we're as good as you we expect to beat you and part of that is getting really good players and part of getting really good players is having an incredible fan base and having an incredible student section. 
Yeah, well, I, I know I speak for anybody who spent any amount of time there on a game day. It is uh, it is very, very special, like you said. Coach, really appreciate your time. Great to catch up with you again. Glad everything is okay with your family. Uh, continue work those recruits, and uh, congratulations again on just a phenomenal season. Thank you so much for having me. Stay safe. Dave Velasquez, assistant men's basketball coach, really appreciate his time and his insight. You love the positivity. I mean, it's it's just kind of a crushing thing when you think about it. And and AJ, I'll come back to that. But Randy, seeing the, the the clips there of the show, the student section, and talking about the fan base and how into it they get, it is quite an environment. It really is. Equal to no doubt, they created that enthusiasm and how they built off. I think the fan base and the way they competed at the end of a lot of those games. Uh, you know, that, that's just, I love, love seeing it. I love seeing the camaraderie and the confidence in all the guys. And uh, like he's, he was talking about, it's moments they'll never forget. It's a shame how it maybe it turned out. But, you know, like I said, you, you got to be, you know, proud as heck of those boys and, and how hard they worked and what they accomplished. AJ, we mentioned it earlier, but, you know, it's kind of neat hearing the way he said the players handled the situation because, like we mentioned, I mean, from a sports perspective, it doesn't get much tougher than what those guys had to go through. Yeah, 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 and yeah I, you I, just, I, I can't even imagine it. I, I, I agree with that. And like like I said earlier, losing losing a game in the NCAA tournament, it would have brought that, that – it would have been hard and it would have been – a lot of people would have been disappointed, but it would have brought that closure and kind of that moment. And I mean, hey, you you, you didn't win. The, the, the season is set up this way to determine one champion. And at the end of six games in March and April, the best team or the team that deserves to win wins it. Well, this year, we there, to be a player in that setting and know what the stakes are and know the way it unfolds, you can swallow a loss even if, if it's an upset, even if it's a tough loss with a bad call or whatever, you can understand that. This is, and obviously on the list of things that are important, this is low down there, but it's still fair to be upset, especially if you're one of those players that doesn't get that moment that would have been so special that you would have remembered the rest of your life. Yeah, well, congratulations again to Coach Velasquez, Coach Dutcher, and the entire Aztec team. Just an absolutely incredible season, finishing the year 30-2. and two. And again, tonight would have been the national championship game in Atlanta. A few more things want to get to here. Uh, also going to continue to take your questions so you guys can just fire away uh, whatever your uh, platform of choice is, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, whatever that's going on. Um, this one I saw is kind of Jesse being a geek, but, but I thought it was really neat. Probably the, the two ballparks I wish I could have gotten to before they went away uh, more than any others. Tiger Stadium, number one, in Detroit, and Old Comiskey on the south side of Chicago, number two. So I saw this going around over the weekend. It was kind of neat. I guess uh, an architect who's you know got all sorts of cool digital software got his hands on the blueprints from Old Comiskey Park. And so using the blueprints, he was able to put it all into his computer, and I'm sure it's more complicated than I'm making it, uh, and get like what is are essentially digital renderings, and I know we love renderings in San Diego, of Old Comiskey Park. Um, so as someone who never got the opportunity to go there, but kind of fascinated by the building, it was really neat to see it come alive a little bit uh, in a digital way. And, you know, just that style of ballpark doesn't really exist anymore. You know, whether the two-tier thing where the upper deck is right on top of the lower deck and, you know, the worst seat in the house is still a, a stellar view of the field, um, unless you're behind a, a pole, of course. Uh, but Wrigley, obviously, you know, and Fenway are pretty much what we have left from that era. I guess what? Dodger Stadium is the, the third oldest stadium in baseball right now. And you, you factor in uh, Boston and Chicago. So um, kind of neat to see. AJ, I'll start with you on this one stadium that you wish you most could have uh, gotten to before it went away 
Tiger Stadium's probably mine. I never made it to uh, never made it to Shea Stadium either. Um, but it, for me, it's Tiger Stadium. I have some family that lives in Michigan, and I've heard stories about it. And that's that that's the top of my list, just because of I think a lot of people have some pretty great memories uh, of playing there and the dimensions, like you said. I'm all for, and it's hard for me to rank stadiums, but I'm all for like real old school baseball feel. It's just different when you're in Wrigley and when you're in Fenway and when you're in some of those older ballparks I wouldn't put Dodger Stadium on the same level I think it's 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 a completely different variety of ballpark and so for me it's Tiger Stadium um I'm sure Randy's been to a few more ballparks than I have but uh Randy what's yours well no you know I I I would say Tiger Stadium number one I've spent my whole career obviously in the National League didn't get a real opportunity to travel around the American League a lot been you know to Boston and in a few but you know, and, and, and you know how special Wrigley is. And, and uh, you throughout my whole career, I absolutely loved any time we went to Chicago and played there just because of the history of the ballpark. You know, and I'm sure, you know, Kaminsky might have been the same way. But, you know, just, uh, you know, and being in the National League. But, you know, Tiger Stadium would have been, would have been the one I'd, I'd have loved to, you know, been there and, and seen a few more games. And and I agree, Chavez Ravine is is nice, and I can remember that one that started up as a kid and going up watching ball games. But I don't think it compares to the old time ballparks that we're talking about back in the Midwest and on the East Coast. No, 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 not, not on that level in any way, shape, or form. Other than the fact that it, it's older, you know, than most of the places now. Obviously, I think today actually is the anniversary of the first ever game uh, at the new place in Baltimore, Oriole Park at Camden Yards, and that, of course you know, just shot off uh, a revolution in, in stadium building, design, architecture, everything around all of baseball. I think, and I don't have it fresh in my head because we're so out of practice with everything, but obviously, you know, Wrigley and, and, and Fenway are the two oldest. Then at Dodger Stadium, I want to say at least in the National League, yeah, in the National League, the next oldest stadium behind Wrigley and Dodger Stadium, Coors Field. Wow. 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 That hey, is well, wild. you guys, you guys, you know, like, AJ, number one, you didn't miss squat not being at Shea, okay? I just want you to know that. I spent a couple of years there, and don't, don't, I don't regret that too much, all right? I mean, <laughs> not, not not a whole lot, you know, about Shea, but, you know, you guys, were you missed Jerry Park. In, in Montreal. Montreal. Now, that was when I broke in in 73, when they played at that AAA facility, up in Montreal. Now there's some memories, guys. You know, he had the big Olympic pool up in 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 right field, right center. And, you know, that that was it. I remember McCovey, you know, hit a couple of long balls over there into that pool. But the, the uh, best thing to me about Jerry Park, I don't know how many people realize this because it's it's so long now since it's been gone. It was an actual park. Like it was a city park. And exactly. The baseball stadium into one end of it so that they had a place to play baseball in Montreal. That's why it was called Jerry Park. Not like we say Petco Park. It was like a literal, like just city park. And it, 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 it took the fans up there, the Montreal fans, it took them at least five innings to get warm. I mean, it was so quiet the first four or five innings. It was scary, you guys. I mean, they really weren't cheering or anything. It just, it was pretty quiet. And then, you know, toward the end of the game, I don't know if it was the beer or whatever it might have been, but, you know, something must have happened that it got a little noisier. But I'll never forget that how quiet it was at the start of a lot of those games. Yeah, I believe it. Outdoors Montreal, especially early in the season. Uh, and then Toronto, they played at Exhibition Park, I think it was called, their first couple of years. Uh, when they came in before what was then known as Sky Dome was built and opened. I mean, that's that's we talk, you know, Detroit, obviously very cold early in the season. Padres would have been in Detroit later this month. 
Chicago, same thing. Minneapolis, obviously. We start talking about Montreal in the winter, or I guess it's still the winter. We park Jerry, Jerry Park. Unbelievable. <laughs> just, a, just an actual park in Montreal. Good trivia for everybody. Uh, are we going to try this, uh, this Google thing? I'm going to throw it out there. We don't it just... One of the things I've found, guys, is that in my sort of abundance of free time in the last couple of weeks, I'm Googling things now that I, I wouldn't have bothered to Google in the past. Like, I'm like, oh, I wonder about such and such. So I want to know, A, if I'm alone on that. Uh, and, and if so, then I'll never mention it again. But if, if you guys, any of you, do, uh, RJ, uh, AJ, anybody else who's watching, I mean, if you're finding yourself Googling things randomly now more than you maybe would have previously, send those in. We'll have some fun. Yeah. You got you got to be kidding, Jesse. Me googling something. You know, hey guys, I'm 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 an outdoors guy. I got I got the two dogs here. Yeah, a couple acres here. I'm I'm outdoors twenty four seven. I'm not googling too much unless unless my wife makes me Google something. That'd be about it. All right. So if anybody out there, not Randy, finds themselves googling more than normal, send them in, and we'll we'll highlight some of those moving forward. Well, uh, AJ, this- what do you Google? AJ, I haven't been doing a whole lot of googling. What I have been, the one thing that I that I've kind of used this time for is like a little learning a little more about history. I'm not really, I don't really know enough. I think about history, but what what where we are now in the middle of a of a global pandemic, I think learning about some international history, the both world wars, like it, it puts it almost it doesn't. It makes it makes everything that that seems so big and so large like like it, it almost makes I almost feel like I have to learn more about what's happened in the world in the past because these big moments that have happened in the past are it, it, we're in a moment like that right now and it just it, it's hard that's just the thing that I've found I'm doing more is listening to history podcasts reading things on Wikipedia and whatnot and probably things that I should have known more about beforehand that I'm getting up to speed on now. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's an important thing. I mean, history is our, our best teacher with all this. And you certainly hope that the people who are in charge of places understand history and, and have a, a good sense of, of that kind of stuff. Any hoodles. Other things uh, that, that uh, caught our attention these last couple of days. This one was awesome. Obviously, you know, the world is, is completely upside down, as AJ was just talking about. And, uh, you know, it's easy when you're not directly involved in something to sort of forget that it, it still exists and it's still going on. Make-A-Wish Foundation, of course, is a, a great you know community member here, not only in San Diego, but all around the country. And they're still trying their best uh, you know, in, in very difficult circumstances to make some dreams come true. So this was over the weekend. Uh, and this is a, a parade for Audrey, who turned three years old. Uh, and her wish, I, I guess, was probably... Uh, not to have the friar come by, but, um, you know, you make do with what we've got right now. So the friar and the pod squad took part in a parade through her neighborhood uh, for her third birthday. Good to see the friar wearing his face covering, as we've all been uh, asked to do when we're out in public now. And a uh, really, really nice moment from this weekend. So happy birthday, Audrey, and uh, very glad you're able uh, to celebrate. We'll, we'll wrap it up today with um, some more stadium stuff. We just talked about old Comiskey and old Tiger Stadium. This was a cool thread uh, that, that got going. I think it started on baseball Reddit, and then John Boy kind of blew it up on Twitter. That's like a normal sentence to say now, which is crazy. Uh, but, you know, kind of weird uh, fields, weird dimensions and that kind of thing. So here's the first one, guys, uh, from Anaheim up the road here. And you see, I guess, center field is quite a notch in it. Uh, and uh, you really got to yank it to get it out of right. But you got a, a short porch in left 
And I think if I remember reading this, you had a 20 fence uh, throughout many of the shorter dimensions as well at this one. But this was kind of cool. We can just cycle through a few of them. If you guys didn't see these, uh, <laughs> some of the odd uh, dimensions that you run into. Randy, do you remember playing in, in any place at any point, whether professionally or, or previously in high school and college that had some really wacky dimensions? Well, that you yeah, they uh, you saw you just you saw that one in Anaheim there, Servite High School was a ballpark there, Palma, and it was pretty much kind of the same dimensions as you're looking. That's why I I, I so much because it was a shoot it like it was three hundred and one feet to you know down the left field line, and it was four hundred eighty five feet to. You know, right field and 500 dead center looked just like that. You know, just had to make sure you 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 kept in the right handers away, 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 and you know, and you'd pound the left handers a little bit in and and try to use the right side of that whole field. And yeah, I'll never forget that. It just you know, everybody's trying to pull the big. And, and if you had a left, you had you had a right hander with a dead pull hitter, you just made sure he pulled it foul until you get ahead of him and then try to get him out. But yeah, it brought back memories when I saw Anaheim. That's right where La Palma Park is as well. Yeah, it's kind of neat because it's the throwback. It's why there's a green monster in Boston, you know, at Fenway is because they built it into the space that they had. They only had so much room in left fields. So they said, all right, let's put up a huge fence so that not everybody's knocking it over the park. And that's what you're seeing in a lot of these high schools. Like, hey, there's the gym. There's the football stadium or the football field. We got to do whatever we can to, to wedge in baseball dimensions best as possible. That's one of my. I've always thought about you know you know you know some of these wiffle ball they do the reproductions of some of the old time ballparks and they play wiffle you yeah. know baseball you know I've always thought that was pretty cool I mean you, you I think all of us as kids in the backyard played wiffle ball at some time or another for hours with all the neighborhood guys and you know we I remember we always used to do we you know wear out the wiffle ball then we had to go find a new one but you know I just think that that. that if you bring a little bit more of that back and play a little wiffle ball, you know, that'd be awesome. I'd watch it. I like that. I'm all about it. My, fa my family's had a long-standing wiffle ball tournament that I'm now in a seven-year drought having won. But uh, I'm still the 11-time champ, which I think is the most. So I'm sure some family members of mine are watching. So just just know who's, who's the 11-time champ. I will say this is one of my favorite <laughs> things about baseball. Like, it, it's yeah. so unique to the sport, and it's so cool, like, to have – parks with different dimensions and the Western metal building in Petco kind of being one of those things and going place to place. So you don't just don't get that anywhere else. And I think maybe to people who don't love the sport, like we do, or are watching from the outside, it might seem kind of odd, but like it's odd in a good way. It's odd in a charming way. Um, and I think i like the green monster, the Ivy at Wrigley, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. Even the Western metal building in Petco, like that, that all serves to make baseball what it is. No question about it. And it, it used to be a little bit more like that in some of the other sports. Everything's become so standardized these days. Um, just the same thing because of the older buildings. And I might screw up some of these details, but like, as I recall, Boston Garden for the Bruins, it was a smaller ice surface just because the nature of the building was what it was. So it wasn't standardized. It was like a smaller ice. Chicago, maybe at old Chicago Stadium where the Blackhawks and the Bulls played, maybe larger ice surface. Like I said, I might be mixing up some of that stuff, but there used to be more things like that. And then everybody sort of became obsessed with uniformity and 
and having it exactly this way. Baseball never got to that point because I guess of the tradition in the older buildings. And like you, it's to me, one of the best parts of the game is that, uh, you know, something happening in, in San Diego could be totally different with the same launch angle, the same trajectory, the same, uh, you know, vo exit velocity, but it's a completely different moment in San Diego than it is in San Francisco than it is in Denver or, or anywhere else. That's uh, the beauty of it. Well, this was fun guys. Uh, thanks for hanging out. Love it guys. Always a pleasure seeing you guys and talking a little baseball and, and um, hopefully we'll be back to work uh, in a few weeks. Let's hope. Yeah, uh, sooner rather than later is the uh, hope, certainly. And, and we'll see how that all uh, shakes out. That's Randy Jones, AJ Castleville. Big thanks to everybody behind the scenes as well. Kind of a growing group of people who's uh, helping to make this thing happen. Uh, Cole, Nikki, Shannon, everybody back uh I was going to say the ballpark, but people are obviously mostly working from home. So you know what I mean? But uh, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun doing the show. This is our, guess what, our third week of bringing Padres Social Hour back. Hope you guys are enjoying it. We will be back tomorrow at 5.30 with more baseball fun. And speaking of the Western Metal Building, you are looking live at left field at Petco Park. Uh, obviously hoping to have games there sooner rather than later. Thanks to everybody who hung out. And uh, stay safe. Wash your hands. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 5.30. Have a good night. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.